is the gospel. Today, we're going to think about the gospel like a good soup, a good soup. The, good, the ingredients are truths that we need to understand in this soup. First, you start out with God, okay? So I'm just going to kind of restate the gospel, kind of explain the gospel. He created us to know him and partner with him way back in the Garden of Eden. He wanted us to rule this planet and, and create fun and interesting things. But then we add us to the soup and what we did is we rebelled against God and God's plan and, we, and his will, and we became law-breaking sinners, didn't we? Arr. That's just who we are and what we do. And the penalty of that sin and that rebellion was death and separation from God for eternity. Bummer. So the soup's not starting out very good. But God added a promise. As soon as we sinned, he responded with, a promise, a promise to save us. And he continued to make that promise, not only to Adam, but to Noah and to Abraham and to Isaac and to Joseph and to David and all these people in a straight line. He kept making this promise until that that line became a nation of Israel. And he made a promise to David that one day one of his sons would Come and save us from that sin and that rebellion. And then, so Jesus came to the earth, and uh, the eternal God became fully man and lived a perfect life, proclaiming that he was bringing good news. And the term good news is what we call the gospel. So that promise that God made was a promise of good news, the promise of the gospel. And Jesus brought it. But we chose to kill and reject Jesus. But all that was part of the plan. For Jesus became our substitute on the cross, and God poured out all our punishment for every sin that every man ever deserved. It was poured out on Jesus as he hung on the cross. And then God raised him up from the grave, from the tomb, after three days showing us, proving to us that Jesus' sacrifice to God had been accepted, that all our sin could be forgiven, was forgiven, was paid for, and that now life was a free gift to all who would believe in who Jesus was and what Jesus did for them. Then Jesus ascended into heaven because he had finished his work, all the work was done. And now, since in the past 2,000 years, what Jesus has done is he sits at the right hand of his Father and he sends us the Holy Spirit, his invisible presence and his invisible power to dwell inside us, inside every person who accepts his gospel for themselves. We have been fully redeemed and restored back into a perfect relationship with God through what Jesus did for us. And that is the gospel soup. That is the gospel soup. So have you eaten it or drank it? Or how do you consume soup, guys? Slurp it? Slurp. I actually have that in my slurp question mark. Did you read my notes? That was perfect. Well done. We're, just, we're all tracking here. You guys are tracking. We slurp soup. Okay. By the way... 
The superhero who loves soup all the time is called Superman. <laughs> My doctor said, if I have alphabet soup, I'm going to have great vowel movement. <laughs> James, where's James? James, he's the best chef in the city. Did you guys know that? His soup takes my broth away. <laughs> he, earned, he earned a lot of money by selling his broth. Now he's a billionaire. <laughs> that was superb, I know. Gosh, well done. Okay. I do. I can. I just, yes. Okay. So we're going to start, we're going to dive right into Colossians chapter 1 and, and, and start studying. It says, it starts out this way. Paul, he's writing this letter. He says, he's an apostle of Christ, of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's his greeting. Paul is like an old pastor. Just picture him as super old. And, and uh, he's responsible for kind of all the church around the world at this point. It's been about 30 to 40 years since Jesus has died and risen. And the church has exploded around the world. And uh, Paul, he, he just, he's been traveling around the world. But right now he's in jail. Anyone know where he's in jail? He's in jail in Rome, right? And uh, so, hey, you can have 12 Jesus points. Well done. Um, he's, he's writing to this church in Colossae, but he's never been to Colossae. He has never met the people here, but he does know their pastor, okay? So he's, he's friends with their pastor, and their pastor had written him a letter and told him that there was this church in Colossae that was full of people who had believed the gospel and so Paul is writing them a letter. Again, he's never met them, but he knows he's on the same team. So he's kind of like their manager. He's kind of like the manager of the church at this point. And so he's going to play his role on the team like a head coach or a general manager. And we call that term apostle in the, in the um, Bible, you know, New Testament language. Apostle. He was responsible for these um, new works that were going out. So Paul is going to, he's going to write this letter to set them in a good direction that will lead them to success. And what do you need to be successful as a Christian? Do you need to be strong? No. If we did, then all of us would fail. Do you need to be more holy than other people? No, because no one is holy enough. Jesus didn't call holy people. He called sinners to repentance. So what do we need to be successful? Well, this book is so good. This letter is so good at helping us to understand that all you will ever need to be successful as a Christian is Christ. All you will ever need is Jesus. A great book about this book that uh, a guy I know wrote uh, is called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's a great summary of what this book is about or what it means to be successful as a Christian. That's what this book is going to 
teach us. So he goes on and he starts right now. He says, we give thanks to God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, you can highlight that word faith, and of your love, you can highlight that word love, for all the saints because of the hope, you can highlight that word hope, which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Okay, so the gospel is the centerpiece and full description of all that God has done for you. Okay? So it's not what you need to do for God. It's what God has done for you. The good news is not what you have to do for God, but it is what God has done for you. And not just you, but for the whole world, it says. Everybody deserves to hear the gospel. Everybody deserves to hear what God has done for them. And whose job is it to tell them what God has done for them? God has mysteriously decided that the best way for him to tell all the sinners in this world what he has done for them is not by having an angel fly around the world telling them what God has done. It's not to make a movie about what God has done for them. But he has decided that the best way is for dirty, rotten sinners to tell other dirty, rotten sinners what God has done for them. God says that works the best. It's like a beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. And that's what our job is as as the church, is not to be like, why don't you all come and find out what we have have figured out. Come and be like us because we deserve God's love and we are making him happy. But rather it's, we are just as broken as every single one of you. We are just as perverted as every single one of you. We are just as terrible as every single person in this world. Yet God has graciously saved us and forgiven us. And that's why It's effective because people love to hear a message of salvation from someone who has been saved, not someone who's prideful, right? The gospel is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that's really, that this book is really about. It's central to this book. Uh, So Paul jumps right in and he starts talking about, and he calls it the word of truth of the gospel, That means that the gospel is truth, God's word, or you could call it God's promises are true. And it's it's salvation, it's power. He calls it a little later in in what we read, the gospel is the grace of God in truth. What is grace? Well, guys, we talk about it every week, but we got our poster right over there, or it's going to be up on the screens here. Grace is God's free provision through his son, Jesus, as we humbly trust in the person and work of his son. 
Jesus generously gives us all that we need, yearn for, and all that we're commanded to walk in and become, and we could never deserve, earn, or produce that grace on our own. And so when we say the word gospel, he says here, it's the gospel of grace. That fully describes all that God has done for us, all that we could ever yearn for or need. The gospel gives stuff to you. It gives stuff to you. It makes you fruity, like a fruity, fruity tree. It provides all that you need. It fills you with three things. And those three things are the things I told you to highlight in your Bibles. What were they? Faith, love, and hope, or faith, hope, and love, depending on which verse you're thinking of. It fills you with those things. So how do I get the gospel and all that it does for me? Well, in our text, there's two things that you can highlight. The two words, you heard. Do you see those two words? You heard. And also, since the day you heard and knew. Since the day you heard and knew. So that explains to us and teaches us how we're supposed to engage with the gospel or what we're supposed to do. My part of the gospel is to just simply believe what I have heard. That is so hard to believe what I've heard, or is it? Actually, God has made it so easy for us. God has made it so easy that any person, any man, woman, or child could believe God's promises. Now, that doesn't mean don't think, okay? It doesn't mean don't think. It means to check it out completely and investigate what God has promised. Find out if it's true. Like, like how you hear or listen to your teacher when you really want to learn something. Like, listen intently. Hear what they're saying. The gospel, you know, can be basically proven with evidence, but it must be believed in the heart. Your mind can be convinced that Jesus lived and that Jesus died on the cross and that it really happened, but it's not going to do anything for you unless you believe it in the heart, right? You know, I could prove the gospel to someone, but if they don't want to believe it, it's not going to save them. God's message of grace and forgiveness has come to the whole world and even to every single one of you who are here today. But you get to decide if you want to hear it or not. The office is on fire. Everyone is freaking out, running, screaming, throwing cats in the air. And someone is shouting a message of hope instructions of what to do. Are we going to heed to take headed of them? <laughs> Just kidding. Are we going to heed that message? Are we going to hear what is being shouted? Who's going to listen? You know in your heart today, every single one of you, if you want to hear God's good news or not. If God is drawing you to hear his gospel, you're going to know it in your heart. Okay, so what happens when I do believe this good news? 
the gospel, if I do believe in what Jesus has done for me, three things are going to show up in your life, three character traits. They're like gifts that show up under your Christmas tree with your name on them. But this all happens in our spirit. These uh, never-changing character traits uh, are on anyone. They, they belong to anyone who has heard and believed, all three of these. And he says here, we give thanks to God the Father. I'm going back and rereading some of what we just read. Uh, Praying for you always since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. So faith in Jesus Christ is one thing that every believer in the gospel has. That means that we are internally changed. We are changed inside. Um, Not by ourselves. It's not my efforts or my desires or my competency. Nothing of myself changed me. It's not self-sufficiency. In fact, our whole inside uh, attention shifts from ourselves to Christ. So instead of our heart always worried about ourselves, our heart is now fixed on Christ. We are born again through faith And then we walk or live by faith every day for the rest of our lives. So what is your relationship with God? Oh, I trust in Christ. I trust in Christ. I have faith in Christ. That's how a a believer describes their relationship with Christ. Not, I do my best. I do my best. That's not a gospel thing at all. Not, I do my best, but I trust Christ that he did his best. Not, I follow the rules. Not, I joined a religion. Not, I can do it on my own. Not, "Ah, Jesus helps me out. He's my co-pilot. Only, Jesus is my all. My all in all and my everything. That's what faith in Christ looks like. That's what it, and every believer just has that. And they might not be able to put it into those words, but when you get down to it and you press it, what are you trusting in? When you, if you died today and you showed up in heaven and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? And what would you say? You would never say, because I deserve it. You would only say, because I trust in what Jesus did on the cross for me. The second thing that appears for all people is love. He says, love for all the saints. So not only are we changed internally in our hearts, but we are relationally changed when we believe the gospel. We are given, like a gift, a supernatural love. This is called agape love. Agape is a Greek word that means self-sacrificial love or godly Christ-like love. It's not a feeling. It has nothing to do with feeling like you love people. It is an action of putting other people before you in importance. Doing what is eternally best for the one that is loved, the object of your love. They say faith without works is dead, right? Well, faith without loving God or loving others also shows that that faith is probably dead. So if we have faith but not love, it reveals that our faith is not real So we need to call upon him for that help and that grace to change us. Do we love perfectly? No. Do we trust perfectly? No. But God is 
patient and full of mercy. And grace means that he's going to provide for us and he's going to teach us how to walk with him and to receive these gifts. If you need to help to remember what love looks like, then read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, because that is a beautiful chapter that describes what love is, being patient and kind and long-suffering and all the other things it describes. So there's your homework for the week. Read 1 Corinthians 13 and remember what love looks like. All right, the third thing that every believer has, every single one of them, is hope. And hope means a changed perspective. So we have an internally changed life because of faith. We have changed relationships because of love. And here we have a changed perspective because of hope. We love in all circumstances because we have hope. We can trust God even when we can't see him because we are sure that he's going to be faithful in hope. No matter what befalls us, we have hope. Nothing can shake us. That's what hope means. I am sure that God will keep his promises. I have hope. That's what hope is. Hope is in the Bible is not, I hope the Broncos win the Super Bowl. Hope is a sure expectation of what is to come. I don't know when God will keep his promises, but I know God will keep his promises. That's what hope is. Hope removes time from the equation. I don't need to know when God will keep his promise because I know he will keep his promise. Um, so hope to understand, you know, hope is bigger than my problems. It's bigger than my death. It's bigger than all my failures. Hope means I know that God is in control. I know that God is good. I know that God is for us and not against us. I know that God has given Jesus to prove that he keeps his promises. Imagine all the people who lived for the thousands of years before Jesus came and how they believed God's promises and God fulfilled every single one of his promises when Jesus came. Every single one of them. And now you can live a life knowing that God always keeps his promises to you. That's why we have the Old Testament. All those promises clearly laid out for us so that we can investigate them and see that God kept every single one of them like he said he would. And now in our lives, we can walk confidently with hope knowing that he will do the same for us because God never changes so again, we hear these words first, and then we can believe them. They're always, these are always the character traits of someone who believes the gospel, faith, hope, and love. All right, continuing on, it says, as you also, le- as you also learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, uh, this is their pastor, his name is Epaphras, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, Uh, So he taught them this gospel, this good news. And that is the job of every pastor, is to teach you what God has done for you. That is the simple job description of a pastor. Then he says, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we do not cease to pray for you. So Paul says he knows that they have believed in the gospel. and, and, And so because Epaphras told him about it. 
He says, now we're all on the same team, and we're going to pray that you're going to grow. You're going to grow deeper in the gospel. Your lives are going to grow deeper. That's what he's praying for, that the gospel will transform them, that the gospel is going to wash them as they drink it in, that they're going to let this gospel go deep into their hearts and produce all kinds of good things. How? Well, we can't do anything. There's no programs that can make you grow, but we can pray. And prayer means that we have a humble, dependent relationship with God where we are asking him to do what he does, what he only can do. You know, I could work for 80 years to, so hard to try to make something of you guys. But God could do more in one minute, one second, than I could ever do even in 80 years of work. And so it's much more efficient for us to ask God to do what God has promised to do. He says, we do not cease to pray for you. That is Paul's only strategy, to pray for people, to let God work in people's lives. He says, to pray for you and to ask. There's Paul asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul wants God's help in all the people to understand and intimately know God's will, what God wants. Because the gospel, it draws us near to God. To have a close relationship with someone, you have to care about what they want and what they think. If you don't care about them, that puts a damper on your relationship, doesn't it? But when we draw near to God, we learn what he desires, and our heart is opened up when we believe his gospel. You will know in your spirit what God wants, what his will is. And you can understand it in your mind. Both of these happen by the power of God. Not by yourself trying to say, I'm going to understand God. I'm going to do what God wants. It's God's work that does these things. Again, it's kind of like we just simply pray, God, I want to know your will. God, I want to do your will. God, even if I don't know what you want me to do right now, at least I want you, I want you to know that I want to do your will, and I want to learn what you want and just walk forward in that i get a common question is well, what if i don't know what god wants me to do what do i do what i just described just say god i i want to do your will so i don't know what it might be but i want your will and that that the act of surrender is really just beautiful to god and god says that's what it means to walk by faith you're giving your, yourself to me then Paul says another way that they're going to grow deeper is that they may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. So knowing his will was the first thing, the first way that we grow deeper when we believe the gospel. The next way that we grow deeper is by walking worthy of the Lord. The gospel makes us say, I want to do your will. I want to do what makes you happy, God. The gospel makes us fully please God. You can't ever do anything that could make God happier 
than believing the gospel and walking in it. That is what makes God happy. You might think, well, God would be really happy if I sacrificed something great for him, or if I gave all my money to feed the poor, or if I never sinned. That would make God happy. But he says here, the the thing that makes God most happy is believing that Jesus was sufficient for you. Believing that Jesus died on the cross for you. Just believing that is the pinnacle of what God wants for your life. God says, literally, just believe that, and I will take care of everything else. Just believe and I will take care of everything for you. This is the design that God has come up with. So simple for us. Believe the gospel, and it makes God happy. Then he says, being fruitful in every good work. Okay, so fruitfulness is a product that the gospel produces, not us. Man, I wish my life was just more fruitful. I wish I could just... Do more for God. It's not about how hard you try, and it's not about what you do. It's simply the Lord that does this for us. God prepares good works for us to walk in, and then he makes them fruitful if we are trusting in the gospel. Again, it's like you're hearing this on repeat. Our job is to believe the gospel. Then he says the next thing that it can do is it can increase in the knowledge of God and increasing in the knowledge of God. That means the gospel is always pushing us towards a relationship with God and with Jesus, through Jesus, not religion. The gospel never pushes you towards religion. The gospel shows the fault In religion, the gospel shows the insufficiency of man's efforts to impress God. And the gospel pushes us constantly towards relationship, prayer. God, I believe what you did for me. And God, I need what you did for me. And these are relational realities, not work. A real relationship with God, an ever-deepening relationship with God, learning God's fatherly heart. He has a heart where he wants to care for you, and he wants to be your first call on speed dial. You can tell if you have idols. Did you know this? An idol is anything that you turn to before you turn to God when you're stressed out when you're worried about something. And God is pushing us towards a relationship with him where he is our God, where he is the first person we turn to when we're stressed out or when we have any need at all. God, I turn to you, I look to you. That's the relationship he wants to have, father and son, father and child, where he is trusted in to provide all that is needed. It says that he would, the next thing he would do, or that Paul is praying for them, is that they would be strengthened with might according to his glorious power. Believing the gospel is what strengthens 
us in our spiritual lives. The gospel gives us the strength that we need. It is not up to you to strengthen yourself or to muster up the courage to be a good Christian. Absolutely not. God is more able than you are. He is more strong than we are. And God is willing to share his strength with us. How does he do it? He gave us the gospel. And he says, just believe that and I will strengthen you. I will take care of it for you. Then he says, for all patience and long-suffering with joy, he will strengthen us so that we can have patience and long-suffering with joy. These are two examples of character traits that need strengthened inside us. Who needs more patience? <laughs> that was a quick shoot-up with your hand, Julie. <laughs> who needs more long-suffering and who needs both of those with joy? With joy. That's what the gospel can do, and only the gospel can do for us. Then he says, giving thanks to the Father. Here's another relationship activity that the gospel produces. Again, the gospel is always pushing us towards relationship. Give thanks. There's a great relationship activity, not a religious, I give thanks to you, God, for this food that should nourish me. No, but a really giving thanks for the people in your life, for his promises and his answers to his promises, really giving thanks. That's a great relationship activity. Then he says, who has qualified us, the father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, in the light, qualified us. Those two words are amazing. The father has qualified us, and that is a work of his grace. We were never qualified, were we? We were never qualified. We could never qualify ourselves to be partakers of his inheritance. That means children of God. That means earning your place in heaven. We could never earn our place in heaven. But God has qualified us. How does that happen? Well, Jesus earned it, and he freely gives his qualifications to us when we place our faith in him. That's how simple it is. That's how beautiful it is. Jesus qualifies us to be sons and daughters of God. All the things that we did to disqualify ourselves, all the sin that we just dove into and partook in, all the times that we hated and we, we rebelled against God, all of it is washed away, washed away completely by what Jesus has done for us. It's like where we had a robe on that was just soaked in the blood and muck and mire of sin. And the moment that you believe in Christ, Jesus takes his perfectly white robe, his robe of righteousness, he takes it off of himself, he he puts it on you and he takes your robes of sin and dirt and blood and he puts it on himself and he says, deal? Are we good? And so when we look at the father or when the father looks at us, he doesn't see anything that you have ever done. Any sin that you've ever done. He sees what Jesus performed, what Jesus did. Jesus is obedience. Jesus is righteousness. But that's what God sees when he sees you. 
And so God's love for you, there can be no interruption. There can be nothing that breaks it. We are now partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That is what that means. Then it says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. We used to have that robe of mud and dirt and blood. We used to be under the power and the authority of darkness because of sin, but he delivered us. How? By simply believing the gospel. Always the same answer, set free and saved. And then it says, and he conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, of the son of his love. His kingdom. God, Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom of God, and Jesus brings us into this by his grace, where God rules and God is the authority all by his love. Jesus brings us into that. We are now citizens of a new kingdom. And even if we live in a foreign land, we call his kingdom our home. That is a gift that we don't deserve to be citizens of heaven. And then finally, he says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That is practically how the gospel works. God purchased us back from the dead by killing his own son and forgiving our sins. And he says, all of this can be yours if you will just hear it and believe it. All of your sin can be washed away. So the money that was paid for our grace, God had to pay a price, and that money was the blood of Jesus. How much did it cost for God to offer you this free grace? The blood of Christ is what it cost him. He had to put his beloved, perfect, obedient child And he had to nail him to a cross, and he had to turn his back from his cries, saying, Father, why have you abandoned me here? Why have you forsaken me? God did that and paid a great, terrible, horrifying price to be able to offer to you this grace. People say, oh, you just talk about free grace all the time. Free grace You're you're just cheap grace. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. It is free to me. It is very free to me. But it cost God an infinitely valuable and horrifying and terrible price to be able to offer this grace to me to be able to offer this gospel to me. Like, why do you talk about the gospel so much? Why do you never talk about anything else? I wish we would talk about Calvinism or Arminianism. (laughs) You don't say that? Okay, well, the gospel is worth every moment of our lives' attention. Every moment, every Breath of praise that we can offer, we can praise God for his gospel, for his love. Everything. The gospel works. That's what this first part of chapter one says. The gospel works. It's effective. It's a good soup. It's soup for your soul. It is an expensive soup. 
It costs God a lot. It can do a lot. It costs the precious blood of the only life that ever measured up to God's perfect standard. God slaughtered him for us. The only one who earned God's approval was rejected and abandoned to be killed, and he poured out his precious blood so that we could be loved and accepted and redeemed and approved and qualified. That is a delicious soup and a soul-satisfying soup. Amen? Amen. Would you guys all stand with me as we pray, and we're going to sing a couple songs where we slurp some gospel soup into our souls. Father, every person here uh, is here because of your will. You have somehow moved in their life where they've showed up here today. You have provided all that we've ever needed as a church to be able to operate a, a, a residence for you in this neighborhood. You have um, made it so to that today that all these people have heard your gospel. And I pray, God, that every single person here would believe it with all their heart. Every person here would feel and confess our need for you, that we would bring all of our brokenness and all of our sinfulness and all of our bitterness and everything that has ever happened to us, that we would just bring them to you and say, Jesus, take my dirty coat and give me yours. I believe that this is your promise and I believe that Jesus has paid the price for it. And so I want to accept what you have done. I want to place my faith and hope in what you have done. I pray that every person here does that and have, begins and, and uh, is encouraged in that real, uh, authentic relationship with you, Father. And I pray that we would trust in your power, and I pray that we would show that trust by praying that we would truly intercede for those in our lives. I pray that we would truly ask you to transform and to bless those people in our lives. And I pray, God, that you'd help us by the power of your spirit to be thankful, to be able to put, um, to be able to know that you will always keep your word and you have kept your word in our lives I pray that we'd be able to have the hope that you will never um, deny your word that you will always keep your promises Jesus you have been faithful and you always will be you have pursued us when we were far away when we hated you when we cursed you you loved us in those nights. And Father, that love has transformed us and given us new life, and we simply want to respond to your love with trust and love. God, we love you. And 
uh, not perfectly, not, not sufficiently, but you love us perfectly. So as we sing these songs, God, we just want to soak in all that you have done for us and ask that you would do more and take us deeper into a real relationship with you. In Jesus' name and by your will, we pray all these things, knowing that you will answer us. Amen.